Uh, let us go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 15 through 16. When you get there, say amen. Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 16, it reads as follows. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. You all may be seated. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I took my boys to the doctor for their annual uh, checkup. And while we were there, as the doctor was just kind of catching up on what had been going on over the past year, uh, he asked a probing question. He said, is there anything going on that you'd like me to be aware of? So my older, uh, younger son, Jaden, had mentioned that he had been experiencing a little weakness in his knee. That over the last few months and uh, last few months and days that he had started to feel these pains in his knee that was preventing him from being able to uh, exert himself athletically in the way that he was accustomed to doing so. And so after the doctor went through his uh, checkup, he got to the point where he said, uh, Jaden, what you have is called uh, Os uh, Osgood Slaughter's disease. And in many ways, Osgood Slaughter disease is not a disease itself. It's actually just a condition that when children are going through puberty, their muscles begin to uh, potentially ache because of overuse of particular ligaments. You see, Osgood Slaughter's disease, or OSG, or OSD, is when the, uh, that during a growth spurt, the bones, muscles, and tendons grow at different rates. And so because of that, as you're exerting yourself and doing varying activities or sports, uh, the ligaments begin to pull on the growth plates, causing it to, uh, causing injury. And as he said that, one of the things that uh, I took away from uh, that diagnosis was that um, if, if my son were to change the pattern of his life around what was essential for his body to grow properly, then over time, the, the, uh, over time, the pain would disappear entirely. That once the muscles and the bodies and joints had reached their full maturity, by simply changing one's activity, he could experience true healing. Uh, see, the thing that I wanna bring us up today is that many of us, if not all of us, des desire, uh, or desire to avoid pain at all costs. That we want to get swole, but we don't wanna be sore in doing so. Uh, we may want to, be, to lose weight, but we don't want to sacrifice any of our favorite foods. Uh, we may want to have good and authentic relationships with other people, but we don't want there to be the presence of conflict. Uh, we desire to uh, ultimately, we desire more sometimes for the destination than we do the process of getting there. And so as I thought about OSD, my question is, is I'm wondering if the church has a version of OSD. I'm wondering if we have overexerted certain aspects of what it means to live out our Christian faith in such a way that it is actually stunting our growth rather than producing growth. I'm wondering if we've settled for uh, things like, that are easier in the faith, like simply showing up on a Sunday morning. If we've settled into being comfortable in attending Bible studies or having our own personal devotion time or studying the word. I'm wondering even if we have uh, reduced Christianity simply to being part of a small group. 
Um, Perhaps we have a version of OSD that we're not aware of that's impeding or hindering the growth that God desires to do in our own lives, but also beyond that, the lives of one another. Today, we're going to be looking at our fifth core value, loving candor, uh, within the context of Christian growth and maturity. That if we are unaware of God's plan for our growth as believers, then we very well can stunt our growth entirely. Loving candor is this. We defined it as we believe that speaking the truth in love is vital to our growth and connection as a family. And as such, we do not pit truth and love against one another, but desire a deep, full experience of both. My only point for us today, family, is that uh, God grows us up as a family through our commitment to speaking the truth in love to one another. God grows us up as a family through our commitment to speaking the truth in love to one another. It's quiet, so let me tease that out. Paul begins in verse 15 by saying, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. The verse begins with the word but, signaling to you and I that Paul is about to contrast something that he's previously said before. Verses 11 through 12 of that same chapter, Paul begins to let the church know about God's plan for its building up. So he details for us that God has given good gifts to the church. Uh, He's given prophets and apostles and evangelists and preachers and teachers all to be used by God to build the church up and to bring it to bring it the church up into maturity. Um, Those but Paul doesn't just stop there. He continues in verse 13 by saying uh, a precaution for us as God's people is that if we only look at leadership as God's provision for building us up, we're going to be missing something. That the reality is that because of the culture that believers find themselves in, where they're immersed and indoctrinated by society's idea of what life should be, uh, there's this wrestle, this war going on in the Christian's life. He says that there's these false teachers out there that if Christians don't take seriously their growth and maturity, they can become susceptible to the dangers of being misled or deceived by those professing to be Christians, but very well deny the faith entirely. Uh, That's not so much different than the times we live in where it's hard to go on Instagram and not see people having their own perspective of how our Christian faith should be lived out. It's not so different than hearing pundits on news channels telling us how our Christianity should be lived out. The question is, are those thoughts and ideas rooted in scripture or are they rooted in tradition? Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, what I want for you all is part of your Christian maturity is your ability to discern between what's real and what's fake. But Paul doesn't just stop at the place of saying leadership or are, are the only gifts that God has given to build up his church. Verse 15 goes into saying where Paul says, uh, no, I don't want you to place all responsibility on leadership of the church, but I want you to understand that God places responsibility on the you and I's of the congregation as well. He says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow. Somebody say us. Uh, Paul saying to you and I that that God has purposely made it to where your life and how you interact in the family of God has implications on other people's lives. Uh, In short, you could say that God is saying that you need one another. Uh, But not only that, he's saying that um, your maturing process is not an individual sport. That if we're going to take seriously what it means to follow after Jesus, then that means we're going to have to recognize that the church is not simply a place that you come to get filled up but never pour anything out to other people. 
that the church is not the place that you come to get entertained uh, on Sunday morning or Wednesday night and leave with spiritual highs but no life transformation. The church is not even a place that can be considered your landing strip uh, on your way to eternity where you stay in a permanent holding pattern in your growth until you're with Jesus forever. He says the church is a place where the collective good of the whole is more important than your own individual needs. Uh, Paul says, let us grow together, but recognize something, brothers and sisters, that there's purpose in your growth, that your maturing process is purposed by God. He says, grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. How many of us know that all growth isn't good growth? Uh, some of us have hair growing in places that we probably wish they weren't. Some of, hey, I got too many amens on that one. <clears throat> Uh, some of us, uh, we've seen that adding more people to your team just to have more people uh, oftentimes creates more problems than they do solutions. Uh, some of us see our, our landscapes and in our attempts to keep our lawns manicured that we have these weeds growing in that are not just an eyesore, but they're a nuisance to uproot. All growth isn't good growth. And so for us here at Cornerstone, those who have been members of our church for some time and those that are visiting us or dating us, shall we say, uh, that we're not so much concerned about numerical growth just for the sake of numerical growth. Uh, that yes, it's good to see all of your beautiful faces in here, but our desire is not simply to fill seats or pews, but our desire is to see people grow in their relationship with Christ. That, that what's the greatest reputation that any of you and I could ever have as believers uh, is not our ministry accomplishments, it's not our theological stances even, but it's in the same way that in Acts chapter four, when the people looked at Peter and John, they noticed a couple things. They noticed that these men were bold and courageous, but they were uneducated, that they weren't the most, the most gifted or lofty individuals. They weren't the people you would say, look at them. But one thing that they recognized more than anything was they said, man, I look at these uneducated and untrained men, but one thing that stood out was that but they've been with Jesus. That the thing that God is most concerned about with you and I is that when people encounter us, uh, that they would say, man, I, I see you as a person who's been with Jesus and is being with Jesus. That that is the distinct and unique uh, reality that we have an opportunity uh, to share in is that God has shared himself with us so that we can in turn share him with others. There's purpose in our maturing process. But not only that, the text points to us that uh, our maturity and our process of maturity has been predetermined by God. Paul says that the way that we will grow as a church, the way that we are to grow as believers is that we are to speak the truth in love to one another. So the question is, what does that mean? Notice that the text doesn't say, speak your truth. Let me say that again. Notice that the text doesn't say, speak your truth. Uh, the culture would tell us that, uh, uh, that, that, that you should have your own truth to tell to the world. Uh, that it doesn't really matter what facts mean, it just matters about how you feel about those things. And so as a reality that we are immersed in a culture and to some degree in the church where we've exchanged objective truth with subjective truth, where we have decided that subjective truth is more important than standing on the word of God's truth. Let me read this definition of subjective truth, that subjective truth is based on a person's perspective, feelings, or opinions, that everything that we know is based on our input, our senses, our perception. If you think it to be true, then it must be true. 
So like Kyrie Irving can say the earth is flat. Bruh. There are facts to disprove that. Just because you say that it's true doesn't make it true. But in the same way that if you are to say that my story, the facts behind my story are the only truths, then it discredits the reality that somebody else could possibly have a different perspective that that's maybe helps shape or bring a fuller picture of what has actually taken place. Your truth begins and ends, or subjective truth begins and ends with you. But the text doesn't just stop there. He also doesn't, the text also doesn't read, speak truth to one another. That this isn't simply about being able to exercise a level of honesty with one another by keeping it a buck or keeping it a hundred. Uh, this is not what the text is talking about here. Those are things that should be part of the Christian life of us being able to be honest with one another. But Paul is holding up a higher standard here. Uh, the reason why I think that that's not the case is because you don't have to be a Christian to be an honest person. Anyone and everyone can decide that they want to tell somebody, offer to get somebody straight. It don't take the Holy Spirit of God to produce that in you, right? Paul is saying, no, 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 brothers and sisters, I'm calling y'all to, to something higher. He says, speak the truth. There is a truth that can be rejected but can't be discredited. There is a truth that was not created in the confines of finite human minds, but in the infinite mind of an almighty God. I feel like I have to say this because uh, far too often, too many churches don't believe this to be true anymore. They think that what you and I need on a Sunday morning is simply a spiritual dose of encouragement. That what you and I need on a Sunday morning is simply to come up here and to not even exposit truth, but to use it, but then set it on a shelf and me talk to you for 45 minutes. The reality is that part of the reason why the church of Jesus Christ, uh, I think in some respects, has been stunted in their growth is because we haven't held God's word to the standard uh, in which it should be held. Paul says, speak the truth, a truth that has withstood the test of time. Uh, Isaiah says that there is a truth that, yes, we've got grass and the grass is present and the grass is here for a while. But let that sun, that scorching sun hit that grass and guess what? The grass withers. That there are flowers that are beautiful, that we can look upon and see, but over time, the glory and the beauty of that flower fades day after day. But there is something that stands forever. There is the word of God that stands forever, that, that there has never been a person who could point to the word of God and say everything in it is not true. Or anything in it is not true. That God is its author and God is the one that now says, I've given you my truth. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you haven't just been given facts, you've been given a person. That Jesus Christ embodied the truth of God and when you accepted him for who he says he is, you are now a recipient of that truth. And as a recipient of that truth, now God is saying, I want you to share that truth with other people. Uh, brothers and sisters, we are not uh, determiners of the truth, but we are distributors of the truth. Uh, we are called to present a truth that is absolute and not open for our own interpretation. We are given a truth that is authenticated because the author of it hasn't been proven to be a liar. Uh, we are determiners of the truth. We are not determiners of the truth, but we are called to be distributors of it. So what does that look like for you and I? Paul tells us to speak the truth. And honestly, that sounds easier said than done, right? Speaking the truth sounds easier said than done. But let me just, let me just 
start by uh, uh, peeling back some layers in our understanding of what it actually means. That speaking the truth means being able to minister to other Christians with the word of God. It means being able to rebuke a brother and sister who finds themselves in unrepentant sin and do so with the word of God in such a way to draw them back to Christ. It means being able to teach someone uh, by opening the word of God and being able to gather the intended meaning of the author and God so that that person can have understanding and then in turn go do it for themselves. It means being able to walk with someone uh, through what God thinks about money, about sex, about family, about parenting, about business, about all the things and the matters of life. It means being able to point them to God has something to say about those things. But it also means being able to comfort others with the word of God. That when you and I find ourselves at the bottom of the bottom at the bottom, that there's somebody who loves us enough to say, I'm going to pick you up, pick you up, pick you up, and walk with you by reminding you of God's goodness in your difficult situation. Uh, God's calling that to not be the responsibility of pastors or teachers, but that to be the responsibility of the you and I's in the congregation. Uh, but doing so, uh, the goal though is to do so in a way that leads to a person's growth. Uh, I want us to understand that you can't make anybody grow but you can position them in a place where they're confronted with the word of God and have to make a decision as to whether or not they will be obedient to God or they will be disobedient to God. The responsibility, though, is for you to be faithful. But Paul isn't just saying, I just want you to simply speak truth. But he's saying that, no, God is also concerned in the manner in which you speak the truth. He says, in love. Uh, one of the most frustrating things growing up was the deceitfulness of fast food restaurants. Uh, when you're young, you go to the restaurant and you're looking at all these beautiful pictures and signs. You see these perfectly looking burgers and these perfectly crisp fries. And, and so you order based off of the expectation that what you're ordering will actually look like the picture that you ordered from. However, when you get to the line and they bring you your food, does that burger actually look like the picture? The cheese is halfway falling off the side of the sandwich. Mustard and ketchup and pickles are all everywhere. But here's the thing, y'all. It's, it's not that the food won't fill you up. It's not that uh, the food may not even taste good. But because the presentation was so poor, it robbed you of being, to enjoy, uh, robbed you of being able to enjoy your meal to the fullest. God is not just concerned by us speaking truth without it being tethered to love. Because if we just speak the truth, then the presentation robs people of enjoying God to his fullest and could actually push them further away from Jesus Christ himself. Uh, the Bible doesn't pit love and truth together. The uh, Bible holds both up in saying these are twins, uh, we've got to uh, recognize that depending on your bent, that some of us typically land on one side or another. That some of us tend to lean more towards the speaking the truth side. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but you probably know who you are. Uh, with some of us, we tend to um, uh, be a person who has a word for everybody. We tend to be the person who sometimes can intentionally or unintentionally beat people over the head with the word of God. Uh, we tend to sometimes come off 
as cold and apathetic to others. And the question that I would ask you, and I think that the text is going to ask you, is that um, if the message is given in the spirit of hostility, condescension, arrogance, or contempt for others, it's important that you understand that these attitudes are fruits of falsehood and human pride. That it's actually not that your theology is sharp when your theology doesn't produce a loving care and concern for the well-being of another person. All you're doing is reciting information. But uh, let me not just stand there. Let me go to the other side of those that call themselves loving. Um, Sometimes people who consider themselves loving uh, love at the expense of actually holding the word of God up as a standard. And so sometimes many of us, uh, we found ourselves in positions where we have relationships with people who are professing brothers and sisters in Christ, but are openly sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. That we have friends who uh, are professing Jesus and they come to church and they raise their hands. However, their attitude is always funky. And we've dismissed it as instead of confronting them with the truth and calling them up, of just ignoring the reality and just saying, well, that's how they've always been. Uh, You see, that's not love at all, brothers and sisters. That God is saying, no, regardless of what side you teeter or totter on, what I want you to do is I want you to embody the person and work of Jesus Christ. One One commentary reads this. He says, scripture teaches that love and truth are perfectly symbiotic. Try to separate truth from love or vice versa, and you destroy both virtues. Either virtue without its mate is merely a pretense. Love without truth has no character. Truth without love has no power. Love deprived of truth quickly deteriorates into sinful self-love. Truth divorced from love always breeds sanctimonious self-righteousness. And truth absent from love is harsh and heartless. But love absent from truth is hollow and hypocritical. Uh, Somebody say, oh me. Oh, oh, there was enough of y'all. Somebody say, oh me. Because the reality is we all probably find ourselves in one or two or one or both at times, uh, parts of the spectrum. Um, God is saying, no, I have another way for my people to operate. He's saying, I want you to operate like me. I want you to interact with each other in the same way that I've interacted with you. Uh, The call is for uh, us to realize that God did not love you without holding the truth about our current conditions. Uh, Nor did God just give us truth without demonstrating uh, his actions to back up the truth that he was telling us about. God loves us with both truth and love. And so he wants us to embody that very DNA. Uh, But if we're honest, there are probably some reservations that we have. Uh, It's it's probably no new thing to realize that community can be difficult. Uh, That there's some harsh realities about even as we think about speaking the truth in love that resurrects probably some some hurts and pains that we've experienced within the church itself. Some of these could be the fear of of it not being received well. That when your best intentions are, are there, when you've prayed, where you've asked God to give you the words to say and the wisdom, sometimes no matter what you say or how you say it, just will not be received. Uh, you may have fear of experiencing the pain and the hurt of what that did to maybe now a fractured relationship. And so you hear God say, speak the truth in love and, and, and you tense up a little bit. Or perhaps you're just fearful of failing at it. You feel like, man, I don't know enough words to really 
walk with somebody through that or to bear one another's burdens or to confront them or to even just love them and be an encouragement. I don't know enough, right? Uh, Or perhaps you just are a person who um, fears um, of simply being rejected entirely. And there's a hard reality sometimes in the body of Christ that when you stand for holiness and godliness, uh, you can ultimately find yourself very lonely. Why? Why why do I say that? Why is because even in the midst of a church, uh, living for God and pursuing holiness and godliness isn't a popular trend. That there are certain things that, yo, you would think that me even saying that wouldn't in any way produce any type of murmur or comments. But all of us know uh, that just because we are in the midst of Christians doesn't mean that all Christians are pursuing Jesus. But the thing is, when you really love someone, when you really sit down and ask yourself the question, do I love that person? The thing we have to ask is, what am I willing to sacrifice for them? Uh, If anyone were to step to my wife and children, it wouldn't take but a second to respond back. Because God's called me to be a protector. And if I sense that any of them are in danger, I've got a nine and a 15 and I let them do the math. And so the reality, some of y'all get that later. It's it's, it's okay. Some of y'all get that later. Um, uh, The reason is, is because um, a loving person considers others more highly than themselves, right? A loving person would step in the way of danger if it meant preventing great devastation. And I think you and I have to evaluate and ask God to evaluate our hearts because we can so easily get caught with loving people good with our words but not loving people well with our deeds and Paul is saying that what God wants to produce in the family of God are people who actually love one another well and they love one another in the way that God has designated Uh, when you confront that brother and sister I'll tell a story. Uh, There was a sister um, we've known for about, one of our close friends, known for about 10 years. And she was at at the crib, and a few of us were just talking about relationships. And, you know, some of y'all are single ladies. Anytime you get around a pastor, y'all want to talk about y'all love life, right? And so we just start talking about, hey, like, what's going on? Tell me, because I'm so far removed that I don't understand the culture. So they're telling me about their pains and their hardships, man. I'm like, man, that's the streets is crazy right now. But we begin to kind of dialogue a little bit more, and I started to pick up on a few things about how she viewed black men. And it was statements like, there ain't no good black men out there. It was these statements that were tearing black men down versus building them up. And you, I could tell in that moment that there had been some trauma and some un, undealt with hurts from experiences that she's had with other brothers. So in that conversation, I was able to, to identify for her, hey, I... I think that you're, th- you're looking at black men as if they don't have any value for your life. As if they haven't been created in the image of God. As if God hasn't designated them that even on their worst day that there's still something inside of them that's worth lifting up. So what would it look like for you to change your posture from tearing men down to lifting them up? To being as a sister that speaks life and not death into your brothers in Christ. And at that moment, she didn't want to receive that. But it was seven years later, standing outside those doors, that she came up to me and she said, Pastor Rich, you told me something seven years ago 
that over the last three months, God has been dealing with my, whole, my, my heart and he exposed that I had hatred in my heart towards black men. And I was able to confess that and I was able to repent of that. And God has done something in my heart where I want to be that type of sister that speaks life into our brothers, that lifts them up, builds them up, encourages them to be all that God's called them to be. And God did that through a conversation seven years ago. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we got to be patient with one another. We got to let God do his work in people and not us try to force his work on people. You don't know how that one word that you shared in obedience will impact and alter the life of another person. You don't know how that walking out those doors and seeing somebody, passing by somebody that's weeping and crying and just stopping for a moment and say, brother, sister, can I pray for you? How that can completely alter the way that they see God. There's power that God has placed inside of us to be utilized to serve other people and not just ourselves. But I want to speak to one other group of people. There may be those in here right now that you are, you've been in the church all your life. You've been coming to services on and on and on, and you hear speak the truth, be a ministry to other people's lives. But you've recognized that you have nothing to give. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you try to show up at everything and you've tried to study your Bible, but nothing seems to work. One category may be that brother and sister or friend, you are religious, but not connected to Jesus. Let this be a warning sign to say perhaps the issue is not your activity, but it's your affections. God has not regenerated your heart and therefore what he's but he's, it's his grace that he's allowing you to see that that's your current condition. You can repent and believe and trust in him right now. But there's another category. There's a category of you know you're saved. You've seen what God's done in your life. And you've just found yourself in a dry, dry season. And it's like you go to God's word and you study, but nothing makes sense. You find yourself wanting anything but spending time in prayer. You just don't know what to do. And your cup is empty. Let that be an indicator light to you, brothers and sisters, to propel you to trust God right now. To believe God's word in James when James testifies and he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And what you'll realize that in that verse is that God, uh, God's presence is everywhere. God is usually, God is always right exactly where he's always been in a believer's life. The problem is we take steps away from him. And what's encouraging about that verse is that no matter how far we get from God, the moment we take one step further, he takes five ones closer. That it is not God losing any ground in our life, but it's God regaining the ground that we've allowed to, allowed our, our, ourselves created for ourselves. The goodness of God is that, it, that by faith you can this day Ask God to say, God, I am empty, but would you fill me up? God, I don't have much to offer, but would you uh, draw me closer to yourself? And that may not be uh, a hundred yard, hundred, uh, hundred meter sprint. That may just be you crawling. That may just be you tiptoeing. That may just be you calling up one person and say, hey, would you get, would you 
would you just spend a little bit time with the time in the word with me and prayer at six o'clock in the morning for like five minutes? Would you just would you just do that for me? And then consistency and consistency, y'all. I, I want us to understand that the Christian life is not about feelings. Sometimes God allows us not to feel or sense his presence to grow us up. Don't think that just because you're in a dry season that somehow God has abandoned you. In fact, God is saying, I want to mature you. Because when you can't actually feel my presence, will you still believe that I'm actually there? That when I can't get as much out of the word as I thought, if it's not as rich as I felt like, will I still believe that, God, you've promised that your word is active in my life? God, when I don't feel like being around God's people, will I still believe that you've provided that for my good and not my destruction? Faith will have us standing not on feelings, but have us standing on the word of God. And part of the reason why God is allowing that in our lives is just so he can mature us along. As my kids get older, though they may at one point not be in my house anymore, uh, they know that I'm only a phone call away. Uh, That part of their adulthood is not living under my roof, but understanding that the connection is still there and I'm still accessible at all times. God is saying, look, your feelings may not feel like the connection is there, but it's still there. I'm accessible. Just come to me. Uh, But we got to keep on moving. I can't stay there too long. Um. I want to give uh, a quick and brief overview of um, we can't just think about um, the harsh or difficult realities of speaking the truth in love to other people. Um, But there are some positive ones. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, better an open reprimand than concealed love. That the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Matthew 18 will even say that uh, in 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, Go tell him his fault between you and him alone, meaning don't go tell all your friends about what happened. Don't go gossiping to other people like, man, I can't believe that they did this to me. It says, no, have the maturity to say, I'm going to in secret confront my brother and sister as not to embarrass them or to inflate a situation that really can be reconciled just through a simple conversation. And it says that type of respect, that type of commitment, that if he listens to you, you have won a brother. Think about the close friendships that you have. How many of those were absent of real, any real difficulty or conflict? John and I I have been friends for 20 plus years. And in college, that man, I ate some of his spaghetti and he wanted to fight me. (laughs) There's been friction. Uh, There's been times where I've had to admit, John, I don't feel like you love me anymore, bro. John, when you did this, this wounded me, this hurt me, this, this caused me to feel as if our relationship wasn't as strong as it used to be. But it was in those moments of being honest and transparent and humble enough to give somebody an opportunity to maybe share offense of their own, that God begins to knit the hearts of his people together in such a way that they become lifelong relationships, that at the Pride at the end often of our obedience in this way can become genuine bonds of trust between two people. Uh, sometimes our friendship is just too sur- surfacy. It's just, yeah, we hang out a lot, but there's no real depth. And when conflict comes, it just 
Uh, as John has taught in the past, conflict just, uh, it reminds us of what the actual commitment of the relationship really was. And so God is saying, I want your relationships to be real and authentic and deep and genuine that don't allow fear to keep you from entering into a blessing that God may have for you and that other person. That this type of love stands in the gap for people it loves. This type of love has the power, though, of actually keeping someone from doing something that would destroy the rest of their life. There may be conversations that God has placed on your heart to have with people as a means of protection from what the enemy is trying to do in their life. And they can't see it for themselves. And they don't understand that, that's, that they're getting set up right now. But for you to keep your mouth shut, to preserve the relationship more to actually, than actually demonstrate love and care for them, you're becoming a, a participant. You are becoming a participant in Satan's destructive work in their life. When we see someone struggling with weakness, we point them to the strength that he has or she has in Christ. When we see someone is ignorant, we speak to them with wisdom giving words of truth. When someone is fearful, we talk of the God who is ever-present and ever-present help in a time of trouble. When someone grieves, we seek to bring words of comfort. When another is discouraged, we seek to bring words of hope. When feeling alone, we greet them with expressions of our love and Christ's presence. But when angry, we point to a God of righteousness, vengeance, and justice. And when engaged in conflict, we seek to speak as truth, as uh, peacemakers and reconciles. And when our brothers and sisters find ourselves anxious, we point to the Sabbath rest that Christ himself has provided for you and I. Uh, part of our growth is being able to identify opportunities for ministry in the people that God has placed in our lives. It's being able to say, God, regardless of my own inconvenience, I want to participate in the work that you're trying to do in that other person. And if we think like that, then we'll probably um, be less um, offended when we don't get the responses or the outcomes that we thought we should get. One author says this, he says, don't speak just to give people a piece of your mind. Speak because you want to contribute to their well-being. And if you do that, you will know the difference between speaking the truth in love, or speaking the truth in and of itself, and speaking the truth in love, because love always considers the outcome. So the question is, what is the right way? Paul Tripp has an amazing article uh, called Redemptive, uh, Speaking Redemptively. And the article is like 14 pages, but there are some helpful things that I've summarized to kind of put, give us some tracks to run on as we think through how do we do this uh, practically in the life of our church. The first thing is this. Uh, recognize that the, the real battle isn't with that person. As Christians, there's internal conflict that's going on in our hearts because we're wrapped into sinful flesh. But there's external pressures as well that would seek us to live contrary to what God's called us to. Recognize that no person is my enemy. The enemy is beyond them. Secondly, pray that your communication is in line with what the Holy Spirit desires to do in that person's life. Galatians 5 is very clear on the fruits of the Spirit. 
When we think about the fruits and the things that God wants to produce in the body, then we need to make sure that our conversations are in line with encouraging or spurring on those actual realities in other people's lives. It's not helpful just to point out sin without pointing them to the hope that we have in Christ. Paul's telling us, no, make sure your, your communication is in line with the characteristics of Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And third, seek after res- rec- uh, restoration and not condemnation. Galatians 6.1. Uh, I've mentioned walking in love is difficult work. It's hard. Um, but dropping off a verse in somebody's lap is not often sufficient for what they actually need. The Bible is not meant to be used as a aspirin pill where we just say, here's a quick fix to your brokenness. Uh, If we want to know if we're really willing, if we really have genuine love in a person's life, then we need to say, am I willing not to just speak truth to you, but to keep speaking truth to you? Uh, The commitment is to say, I want to walk with you, brother and sister, as you go through what you're going through. That's my commitment, that I want to walk with you, not just drop off the Bible verse of the day and act as though I've done my job. Um, lastly, before we wrap up, uh, verse 16, he says, from him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Um, if you don't leave with anything else today, leave with the reality that God's design for your maturity requires his people. You will never become all that God wants you to be by living in close uh, isolation. But it requires that you and I look at every single other brother and sister in Christ as having something to offer us and us having something to offer them. That if we're going to really commit to grow as a family, that we're going to have to see one another as value, valuable. Don't think of God's calling on your life to specifically just be a specific ministry focus. Think of God's general call on all brothers and sisters in the faith as your ministry that God has assigned to you. It's to one another. If you look in this room, if you look on the membership directory, you will see the ministry that God's already given you. It's those faces. It's those people. And it is God himself using every single part of the body to, be, to, to get to a place where it's built up and functioning healthily and properly in the way that God intended for it to be. If we choose to sit on our hands, just fill a seat, and not engage in the hard work that God has called us to do, which is laying our lives down and taking up our cross, then We are not just hurting ourselves, we're hurting everybody else. God is both loving and truthful. Do you believe that? Do you believe God to actually be who he's said he was? Because Exodus testifies of him being abounding in loving kindness and truth. The Psalms testify of this great God being one that's abundant in his loving kindness and his truth. But then we look a little bit further and we see uh, in the later parts of Psalms where where the psalmist testifies that all of God's paths are loving kindness and truth. But that alone may not do anything for you, so let me give you a better example. Uh, In John 4, we see the perfect person of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is traveling down the narrow roads, he gets tired and he sits on a well. 
And this very, this very Jesus, the Son of God, 100% God, 100% human, sees a Samaritan woman that comes up and he says, can I have a glass, can I have something to drink? And it was in that moment where Jesus, through a casual conversation over a glass of water, he begins to speak into her life and, un- and, dis- uh, uh, and begin to undisclose some of the uh, horrible things that had happened to her. Some of the deep and harsh realities of where she found herself in the life, having many husbands, but having many men as her body count, but not having really any husbands. And so Jesus, in, uh, in, in seeing this woman unveiled, begins to address her situation, but to speak life and hope into her problem. He begins to use his words to draw her, to help her see where exactly she is right now. But his loving gesture of just conversing and talking and spending time with her and defying the cultural and social norms of the time that would say a Jewish man should never speak to a a crossbreed. Jesus enters into that reality and he uses both truth and love to draw this woman in bondage of her sin. To say, I believe that we found the Messiah. And to go and tell other people, I believe that we found the Messiah that was prophesied of. Jesus shares his truth so that we in turn can share in his love. And that is what's meant by speaking the truth in love. Of using our words so that people can experience the fullness of who Christ is. And the beauty of his love in tangible ways. God doesn't want you just to think of his love um, in a ethereal way. God wants you to understand that his love is present and it's meant to be dispersed and distributed to his people. Speaking the truth in love is God's means to grow us up as a family. I pray that today, as we conclude our time, that you would just take a moment and ask God, God, how can I do this in the lives of my family? How can I do this in this church? How can I take the step of courage to say I'm going to consider somebody else more highly than myself because we are able to love because God has first loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that as your word has gone forth, Lord, Father, with a would it fall on fertile soil? I pray that the distractions of the enemy right now that would have us thinking about what's, what we're going to do after church or who this other person, who the other person is that needed to hear this, Lord, that, Father, you would silence all of those thoughts and you allow us to be humble and in a posture of surrenderance to say, God, deal with me because I fall short. I fall short of living this out in the way that I know you've called me to live it out. I'm scared. I'm terrified. I don't know where even to start. And I pray you'll give us the boldness to even confess that to somebody else. That perhaps we can lean on one another in such a way to where we can grow together in something that seems impossible. But if it were not for your spirit. Father, we thank you that you've equipped us with everything that we need to, that we've needed, that we need to actually live this out. And to see our church and even beyond our church, the church. Grow in this way to where the unlooking, onlooking world, the people who would visit, the people that we would encounter at the grocery store, that they would be able to say of us, there's something different. That they would be able to say of us, even if they can't put their finger on it, 
that, man, these people seem to have been with Jesus. And we rely on you as the only person that can actually do that in our lives. Father, we thank you that you want that for us. And I pray that we would want that for ourselves as well. In Jesus' name, amen.